You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. Yeah. Welcome to the Minority Troublemaker Podcast, and I'm your host Greg E Hill, the Culture Change Agent. You already know I'm excited. I'm pumped up. I got glasses on. I haven't had glasses in the last four years, but check me out. Come here real quick, right? Last week. Friday, I went to the doctor's for eye exam. I come in. I've been having some eye problems. I told y'all about it. Having some eye problems, so I went. To, I sat down in my doctor's office, and they did the preliminary tests, and and then you actually see the doctor. So I'm sitting there. You know, my vision's horrible. I'm legally blind in both eyes. So honestly, if I don't have my glasses on or contacts in, I should not be driving. But let's get back to the story. So I'm sitting there, and the doctor says, okay, let me check out your eyes. And in the back of my head, I was like, I knew. Remember I told you on the podcast a couple weeks ago, I just couldn't see. My eyes were messed up. It was all bad. But I said, my eyes ain't that red no more, so I should be straight. I sit there, and she's looking through my eyes. She said, whoa, dude, you know you could be blind, right? I said, yo, stop playing with me. I'm already blind. She's like, no, literally blind, because what I'm looking at right now, I see multiple cornea ulcers on your eyes. And they've been happening over the last couple months. And you know, I'm like, bro, I look at my eyes all the time. I know it'd be red sometimes, but I never see no cornea ulcers. I don't know what to look for. My heart dropped because she said, if you would have waited a couple more weeks, possibly would have had to do a cornea replacement surgery, or you could have lost your vision. And I was like, whoa. And I guess, I don't know, because I'm 27. I don't consider that that old. But, you know, I gotta, I know I just got to start taking better care of my body. And when I see a sign, I need to go ahead and go to the doctor instead of trying to tough it out. Because me toughing it out could have been me trying to edit this podcast blind. And the podcast just wouldn't have been the same blind. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you. I mean, no offense to anybody that's blind listening to this podcast. But, you know, life is just a little more challenging when you're blind. So, uh, please just keep my health in prayers. Because, yeah, that was so random and so wild. And now I got glasses on. Thank, thanks be to God. And, yeah, we about to jump in. I'm really excited about this episode, not only because I'm just a naturally excited person, but most importantly because the guy that we're bringing on the show not only founded a company at Bed and Breakfast that is redefining the industry right now that he's in, but also 10 to 15 years ago, he built his skill set, which he uses today in the urban marketing scene. And I'm talking about for big, huge companies, which we talk about in his bio, Karma Loop. I'm talking about New Era. I'm talking about Boost Mobile. A lot of different things that we've seen in the music industry and with athletes, partnerships with major brands like the, the Fitted Caps, major brands with the Boost Mobile. Y'all remember Ludacris in that Boost Mobile commercial? And a lot of other things, he has been 
the center guy within that. So we get to go behind the scenes on what those contracts may look like when you're trying to affiliate with a, multi, with a major brand or a major company. How do you secure major sponsorships when you first starting out? Like he digs deep in, and he shares some honest truths about it. So don't get it twisted. You ain't gonna listen to this podcast. You be like, oh snap, I can kind of consult with McDonald's now. It's a lot. There's a lot more levels in that. But he can kind of take us behind the scenes and not only his own business, but multiple big corporations and how they operate and how they do work with partnerships, how they promote their brand, and a lot of other different things. So even if you're not into this core business stuff, you just like stories. This is a phenomenal story by a guy that's been on multiple podcasts. But I guarantee and hopefully. I ask some different type of questions and we get a different type of rapport. So if you listen and heard him before in his story and his fiance's story before about the runaway Jamaica, then you still get something out of this podcast. So I am excited. I listened to the show all the way through again and it, and I just got a lot of gems and I know you're going to get a lot of gems as well. But enough of me talking. Ooh, pause. Make sure you left a review. Stop listening to this podcast and you ain't left no review. If you got an iPhone, you listen to this podcast, make sure you leave a review. Yep, I'm talking to you right now. Please leave a review, all right? <laughs> and thank y'all for following the SoundCloud page. We are rapidly growing in that, so thank you so much for your support. Now, enough of me talking. Let me get into his intro. His brother is a social media specialist, storyteller, consultant, entrepreneur, creative, you name it. He has done it in the creative space, the tech space, and he is a true trailblazer. For over 13 years, he's been a proven marketer in a variety of different industries. His keen sense and sharp intuition makes him a distinguished authority in the millennium culture. He has been the senior marketing manager of Boost Mobile. While at Boost Mobile, he was responsible for regional marketing initiatives and national campaigns focused on the Gen Y demographic. By tapping into his entertainment resources and combining them with relevant consumer passion points, he spearheaded the development of groundbreaking platforms, which we will get into in the show. Before joining Boost Mobile, he was the global brand manager for New Era Cap Company. And prior to joining New Era, he launched a youth marketing agent called Crush World Media, a media pop culture think tank and lifestyle marketing boutique. And in 2009, he was selected to deliver the keynote address at the United Nations inaugural commencement in New York City's first world soccer festival, Copa NYC. The following year, he was invited to Dubai and South Africa to curate a series of soccer-inspired exhibits during the World Cup 2010. I know you're like, hold up, World Cup 2010, new era. And I didn't even mention Karma Luke, like this guy, before he even started what today we call Runaway Jamaica, which over $47,000 funnel, which is amazing new and Brandon, we're going to dig, it's a bed and breakfast, and we're going to dig deeper into it as the show goes on and produce. But I'm excited about the knowledge he's about to drop on us today, about branding, about entrepreneurship, about failure, about choices, decisions, all that good stuff, working with your partner and all that, all the stuff that honestly we haven't been able to dig in deep thus far on our 50 plus episode. So I know he's going to be able to provide a new lens for us. So without further ado, I would like to introduce my brother, my dog, my boy, Jeff Belazier to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Welcome to the show. What's up, man? Thank you for having me. I'm very, very excited to be talking to you tonight. Already, man. You already know. And like I said, like I told you before we got on the line, when I when you first reached out, I read the story, great pitch, and I was like, okay, we already in. And then I looked at a backdrop of you about your experience, and I was like, oh, snap. I saw Karma Loop. I saw New Era. I saw Boost Mobile. And everybody, it, this, this remember 07, 06, 05, the yeah. Boost, the Chirp. Y'all remember that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, today, everybody, if you've been listening to the show, you know how we usually do it. We got three sections of the show. We have the past, 
Then we have the present and then we have the future. But before we even get to the past, we always start off with a quote. So, Jeff, could you share with our audience a quote and a story of how you use that quote and apply it to your everyday life? Yes, I came ready for this one. Um, <laughs> so my favorite quote is by Napoleon Hill from a classic book called um, Think and Grow Rich, when I'm, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners probably you have already, already read. Classic. Um, and a quote goes like this. Uh, every adversity, every failure, every heartache carries with it the seed of an equal or greater benefit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that 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 quote is relevant to, to me even today. Um you know, being an entrepreneur, um, it's a bunch of hills and valleys, mm -hmm. you know, and um, sometimes you have to fail your way to the top. And, uh, you know, I don't think you've I don't think you've interviewed anybody who hasn't had a story about failure mm -hmm. um, and feeling defeated. Um, but it is in those moments that, the you know, the, the learning comes. Mm -hmm. Right. If, if, if you're able to withstand that. And so, you know. People may look at my resume and say, wow, he has an amazing background, but at every, at every job I had, every, every project that I worked on, um, you know, a lot of it was uphill, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and it was because of those difficult moments that really built the character and the stamina to be able to launch my own projects, um, you know, after that. So, um, I'm proud to say today that, you know, I'm a product of, you know, successes and failures. And I'm seeing the benefits of that today. Hey, man. And I know for y'all like, OK, give us more context. No, we got it. And um, as, <laughs> as we get as we get in through and we're going to deep dive into it. So thank you for that. So before we get into the particulars of your past and the, the things you worked on, things you learned, can you share with our audience a backstory about you personally before the entrepreneurship, before UMass? Like, give us a little background about where you're from, your social economic situation, uh, if you have mm -hmm. any family, your brothers and sisters, and you growing up. Yeah, man. I grew up, um, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, mm -hmm. and uh, my family bounced around and ended up in East Orange, New Jersey for a while before we, you know, my parents got divorced, and then we ended up moving and settling in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, so we moved to Boston in about the 80s, and um, it was a difficult time for me, I think. You know, between my parents splitting up, um, moving to a completely new place where I had no no foundation, no roots, mm -hmm. um, and just sort of having to grow up fast, being the oldest of, of three kids. Wow. Um, you know, I had I felt uh, the burden of needing to be, you know, kind of on point and being there for my mom. Mm -hmm. um, so in Boston, you know, I went to, to middle school and high school there, and um, you know, one of the difficult most difficult times in my life was, was actually in high school, freshman year. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I went, I went to a high school in a predominantly, you know, white Irish neighborhood and, um, there was just a lot of unrest, um, you know, racially in that neighborhood. Wow. And it ended up blowing up into a, a big, you know, race riot, um, wow. at the high school. Yeah. And so that was my freshman year, um, in Boston and, 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 you know, I don't know if folks know about Boston, but back in the day, you know, um, it really wasn't a, a great place, at least from my perspective, mm -hmm. for uh, like a young black person to grow up. Um, I didn't I didn't feel the uh, the sense of community there. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure things have changed um, a lot since then. But, you know, at the time it was, you know, it was, it was difficult for me. Um, I ended up doing really well freshman year and um, and people saw a lot of opportunity uh, or saw a lot of potential in me. 
And so I ended up getting accepted into a private all boys school. Okay. Um, and it was, you know, a private sort of a prep school that I got into. Um, and I started going there in sophomore year. Um, and, you know, they had a very rigid, rigorous education system and all that stuff. And so um, that really sort of shaped and mold, molded, you know, my academics, you know, and I got stronger and stronger every year. And eventually, you know, um, graduated and, you know, got into college and went to UMass and stuff. But, yeah, I'm a product of, of a single family home, man. Um, oldest of three, three kids. And, um, you know, I had to be, you know, my mom's second hand. Huh. And is it brothers or sisters? Sisters, two younger sisters. So you already know. I was, I was, <laughs> yeah. I was overprotective. Uh-huh. You know, I was making sure they was getting to school. I was just, you know, the big brother, the surrogate father, you know, all of that. Oh, man. And why do so? I know Boston, it sounds like it wasn't growing up. It wasn't particularly your cup of tea. So why did you choose UMass? You know what? UMass was far enough away from home. Mm-hmm. Um where I can kind of, you know, you know, go out on my own and, and kind of learn the ropes on, on, on just kind of growing up and, you know, uh, surviving as a young man. But it was close enough so that if I needed to get back, you know, to help my mom out, I could do that. Um, so uh, that's that's the main reason why I chose UMass. And how was your experience at UMass? You know what? I loved it. You know, I loved it. It was the first time that, you know, I was living outside of the house and, you know, I needed to feel that sense of independence um, and to really come into, you know, my own. Um, so I really thrived, um, you know, at UMass. I was heavily involved in extracurricular activities. I was president of the Black Student Union. I was involved in student government. Um, I was just an active kid. I think I, I got most of my learning and, and most of my sort of like uh, sort of talents were molded outside of the classroom. Mm-hmm. And so I really, really enjoyed UMass for that. And I was exposed to people from other areas of the country, other areas of the world. And so it really opened my eyes. And, you know, for the first time, you know, um, it made it, it showed me that life was bigger than what was in Boston. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I think that's going to open up as we I'm not going to jump too far ahead. But even with Runaway Jamaica and then you're probably your pants for expansion. It's, it's like because mm-hmm. I've only been in North Carolina my not my entire life. I lived in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and I went as far as Canada. But even mm-hmm. in Canada, Canada's like the U.S., but still, that being there changed my perspective. And it's like when we live in a bubble in the United States, sometimes we, mm-hmm. we just see with the United States. And then, you know, yeah. once you start to travel and go abroad, then it's like, yo, my perspective is not everybody's perspective. Exactly. And I think that's what makes it so unique. But before we get too excited to jump ahead, I do want to talk about your previous experience because I think that's what makes this podcast with me and you right now so unique because I've had a lot of people mm-hmm. come on the show and usually they have like one or two years of corporate experience and then they have this entrepreneurship. It's a great story. But I think your vantage point is a little different because I think you had a lot of real in the trenches work with some major mm-hmm. corporations. So before we get to run away, I want you to kind of break down each situation and give us uh, the a lesson learned from each achievement and then a disappointment. Mm-hmm. So put the disappointment before the achievement. But uh, <laughs> and I guess let's start. And I don't know if I'm chronologically correct, but uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It was from Boost Mobile to New Era to Karma Loop to Runaway. Or so what was the? Because I know you had your own consulting co- company too. So mm-hmm. can you give me the mm-hmm. um the the chronological order from your career experience after uh, UMass first? Yeah, after after UMass. Um, <clears throat> I ended up uh, getting accepted into like a fellowship program, okay. um, which basically <clears throat> allowed me to 
uh, get a master's degree in education. So um, that's actually not, you know, I actually don't put that up on LinkedIn or anything <laughs> like that because it's not relevant to what I'm doing today. But but yeah, I ended up getting the master's in education. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and immediately after that, um, I dived into being, yeah, I dived into entre- entrepreneurship like quickly, mm-hmm. um, maybe too fast. And um, I learned a lot of hard lessons um, early on um, trying to go out on my own and do my own thing. And so I ended up partnering with these three guys to start an urban marketing company, which mm-hmm. basically back, back in the day was like, you know, basically like street teams, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, passing out flyers for record labels and stuff like that. Um, and we did okay, but we didn't do, do great. And so, um, you know, the company ended up, you know, uh, going out of business. After how long? Uh, uh, I would say about three years. Oh, um, so you put then, in three years into it. Yeah, three years, man, of just blood, sweat, and tears, learning the hard way on 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 how to run a business. I mean, and we didn't really run a great business, but <laughs> but we we learned the hard way. And so, um, at the time, um, I was still in Boston, and um, an opportunity came up to to work uh with Carmeloop mm-hmm. very very early on in there, right right after their conception. So. You know, I was one of the sort of like I would say the, the second stage of, you know, people who came in to work with Carmeloop. They mm-hmm. were probably about like, you know, a year or two old. Hey, can you and real man, quick, can you give mm-hmm. um, our audience uh, a backdrop for those that are maybe not familiar with Carmeloop, what they really did? Yeah, Carmeloop was what Urban Outfitters is today mm-hmm. back then. It, it was the number one destination for streetwear fashion. Um, before before Urban Outfitters even existed, in fact, um, Urban you know Urban Outfitters and, and, and you know you think about all these sort of like streetwear stores now, they didn't exist before Carmeloop, and they were all inspired by Carmeloop. Mm-hmm. Um, so Carmeloop was really a trailblazer in that respect um, because it was the only place where you can get like dope stuff, you know, all in one spot, and it was an e-commerce shop. So mm-hmm. we didn't have a brick and mortar. So this was actually before you know. Uh, the dot com started to blow up, you know, so it, it was a trailblazer in terms of e-commerce and in terms of streetwear fashion. And so I was a part of um, the initial team who was building that brand from the ground up. Wow. So if you start, let's so I guess we start in the karma loop for that. Mm-hmm. For that experience, can you share with us first one of your major disappointments there, a key lesson learned and then your major achievement while your time there? I think the major sort of like the. Uh, the major disappointment there was, um, you know, I got to see um, a side of business that, you know, that really isn't was really like the dark side of business. Mm. Um, you know, the the the, the founder of Carmeloop, and, and this is all well documented, so I'm not like I'm not putting <laughs> his business out there, uh-huh. but the founder of Carmeloop is just, you know, was really shady dude. Um, and I, I think that um, in terms of, you know. Uh, having integrity with, you know, uh, in business and treating people well and, you know, paying his bills on time and all that stuff that didn't really happen for, for reasons that I'm not really clear on, but, you know, it rubbed pe- a lot of people the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And so, um, after a while, Carmeloop started to develop a, uh, a, rep- a certain type of reputation in terms of how they do business. And so, you know, that's a big regret of mine. Um, I was, you know, thankful that I was able to see that and understand that that was like not the good way to do business. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it sucked that, you know, I saw it happen. It happened to people that I, people, people that I liked and cared about got hurt in the process. And so I didn't appreciate that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as far as, um, an achievement, man, you know, being a part of a company like that, taking it from, 
you know, you know, I would say $10,000 a month in, in sales to turning it into a $50 million company um, was really like the first opportunity for me to be a part of some, a startup that actually blew up. Wow. You know? Yeah. And so um, Carmeloop, by the time that I left and even after I left, um, was a leader in the space. And it was even being, uh, people even wanted to buy it. Kanye West, maybe about two years ago, wanted to buy it. Mm-hmm. Um because it was it was that big of a deal, and so I was a part of that, and that that to me was like a big achievement. Um, and I think a learning lesson was, you know, look, um, I learned everything that I know about um, youth culture, marketing, fashion, business, e-commerce, technology through my exposure at, at Karma Loop, and it really helped me to define the, you know, it helped define my career and my pathway to new era and, and other places. So, um, I was, you know, that, that was really like the defining moment for me, man. That's great. And I have a, I have a question in regards to that because it crossed my mind this week. I have a friend and he has a fantastic, um, net neckwear, netwear, neckwear company where he creates bow ties and, mm-hmm. and, um, and ties handmade. And it's really like, it's new wave. It's not just mom and pop. It's, it's amazing. I know a lot of other people that sell products online, but a lot of times when they first started, they first start, they sell a lot more when they travel to festivals and people, people see it individually. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, it's, it's really hard for them to create, um, a space now on the mm-hmm. on in the online front like face to face is cool but it's like they 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 run a lot of ads they're doing all this stuff right. to try to get that so for those people out there that maybe have business where they're selling physical products i know mm-hmm. you i know a situation by situation but what do you think are some key steps or some foundational things that businesses like that have to have in order mm-hmm. to make that translation to selling products face to face to finally being or starting mm-hmm. get sales online yeah, yeah. That's a that's that's a huge that's a great question and it's a big deal. Um and in fact our our, our current business, the runaway, mm-hmm. we're we're completely an online we mm-hmm. sell everything online. So so basically, man, I think if if you have a product, mm-hmm. a physical product that you wanna you wanna sell um via e commerce, uh fortunately because of technology where it's at today, there are tons of resources. Um some of the ones that I would think about that would be appropriate for your friend would be sites like Etsy, where you can create your own sort of um, Etsy account and put up your product there for sale. Um, so I think taking advantage of marketplaces like that um, is a good way to sell product from home. And it's it's you know Etsy already has a built in a built in audience. It gets its own traffic, and so I think um, leverage that by you know establishing accounts with websites like Etsy so that you're selling your product using all of the stuff that's pre-built. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't got to build your own website. You don't got to build your own store. Um, you just got to post your product up on their page and people will find it. And there are tons of other sites just like that. So I would cast a wide net, get on as many marketplaces as you can to push your product. And when the time is right and when you have enough um, traction and revenue, then you can make the investment into your own online store and building your own your own online site mm-hmm. and the, the thing though is though he already has he has the website so he kind of mm-hmm. he has the website but then do you think is there some any additional any additional thing once you have the website so say okay you have the website you think it's still mm-hmm. a great opportunity to still be on those other platforms selling your products mm-hmm. as well right absolutely do that and then you know second is um social media you know um 
the, the, we use Facebook and Instagram almost exclusively to drive all of our sales. Um, and we got really good at understanding how Facebook and Instagram works, how to take advantage of the, the advertising tools on those channels. Um, and once we, and once we got up enough money to make small investments into, you know, social media advertising, um, we were able to, to sort of take our Facebook and Instagram game to the next level. So I think, you know, leveraging social media marketing, um, is key, uh, any key influencers, people who just naturally have like a large following, Mm -hmm. you know, give them some free product and, and, you know, in exchange, uh, for them, you know, posting about it and mentioning it. That is also something that we do too. And it's, it's very effective. I got you. I got you. I got you. So now let's jump into, let's jump into new era, right? So mm-hmm. you went to, so after Karma Loop, did you go directly into new era? Yeah. So after Karma Loop, um, I got an amazing opportunity, uh, to move to Buffalo, New York, because that's where they're based out of. Buffalo, New uh, York is cold. Yeah, and it's like it's 50 cold. inches of snow. <laughs> like, it's amazing opportunity. Buffalo, New York? Who made that up? Sorry, if, yeah. if I have any Buffalo, New York listeners, don't hate. But I'm like, Buffalo, all things snow and away yeah. from the hot spots in New York. Yeah, all, all of the above, man. <laughs> Everything you said is, is true. Um, but still, it was a great opportunity. Um Again, because I got to move out of the state of Massachusetts. So, uh-huh. you know, first I moved away from home to go to college. Um, you know, then I moved back home to, to you know, do the uh, to start the startup that ended up failing. Um, and then I got an opportunity to move out of state um, to work for a brand that I, you know, was rocking. I respected. It was a dream come true. Mm-hmm. You know, couldn't nobody say anything to me about New Era. New Era was the headwear of choice for anybody that I thought was cool. So mm-hmm. having that job was, was like instant credibility for me. Um, and so there, one of the valuable lessons that I learned, um, was because I knew new era was currency in the urban community. I was able to leverage the credibility that I had by working there to open up doors. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a party that I wasn't able to get into. Mm-hmm. There wasn't an artist that I wasn't I wasn't ever I wasn't ever able to meet mm-hmm. um, because I had I had hot product they wanted it and so it allowed me to navigate into the circles that you know I needed to get into in order to advance my career um, and my reputation. Mm-hmm. Oh man! And before you get into like a disappointment thing, I, I think there's a nugget right there for our audience because just like people, I was talking to a, a young lady the other day. And she asked me, why'd you start this podcast? And outside, of course, I wanted to give valuable information to people and I wanted to, to build a problems, but it was strategic as well because I knew having, if I am I able to grow this podcast, I can strategically be able to talk to people that normally, honestly, wouldn't have time to talk to me. I would be able mm-hmm. to get into places or get into conversations that honestly, with my background and resume, I just want to be able to get into all right. the gate. And I think right. for a lot of people out there, they're like, man, why am I not getting some tractions? Because right now you have to think about it, especially as you get older. Always think about what value can I add? Not just, right. OK, can they give something to me? Can we have this conversation? What idea value? And it doesn't have to be deep. Like you don't have to have right. new air behind you, a podcast behind you. But you right. just have to identify before you start reaching out what value can I add? Could it, it in looking your skill set? Maybe it's right. your connections. I don't know because I think a lot of people are missing that area because you probably get it all the time. People want to pick your mm-hmm. brain. People want to have these conversations. And I know you would love mm-hmm. to help out everybody in the world. But if you mm-hmm. can't identify what what value you're going to add in anything, then it's going to be hard to make that connection. 
Right. Exactly. Exactly, man. So, you know, that that was a high point for me at New Era. And my job there was I was a global brand manager oh, man. uh, for New Era. And um yeah, it was <laughs> it was it, it was a it was a big deal, man. And um part of the role, they created that role. Mm-hmm. Um and the main purpose for creating that role was they wanted somebody to babysit their new business verticals. So at the time, New Era didn't have any brick and mortar stores. Mm-hmm. I actually opened the first brick and mortar store in New York City. Wow. Right. And then after that, opened eight more across the country. Mm-hmm. And today, New Era maybe has, I don't know, like somewhere like 40 stores across the world. Mm-hmm. But I I opened up the first one. Mm-hmm. So it was even though New Era was a well-established brand. I was essentially in charge of all of their startup brands. Mm-hmm. And so that that was one of my major responsibilities. The other part of my responsibility was to um, create collaborations. And so that was the very beginning of when New Era started to collaborate with other cool brands on creating products. So collaborations with Stussy, um, you know, DC Shoes, you mm-hmm. name it, or celebrities. We were doing like, you know, collaborations with celebrities where they would design hats, um, all that stuff you know, uh, started with me and then grew into, um, another business vertical for the company. So, um, that was a great experience for me because I really learned how to start, um, a company from scratch because I got the nurturing from like real business people. Mm, and question to that because I've always too. First question is what f- from behind the scenes? What does a collaboration look like with say a celebrity or somebody with these brands? Cause I see it all the time, but I'm like, what does that look like? And then two, after you answer that, can we talk about how to navigate or your what are your what are your key steps to successful collaboration? Because that is a topic which honestly I don't think we talk about relationship building, but Having successful collaboration is key, but it's really kind of hard. So I would love to mm-hmm. get your experience on building successful uh, successful collaborations. But yeah. first, behind the scenes on what does it look like from a celebrity collaboration or collaboration with influencers? Yeah, so uh, influencers, celebrities, um, it's the same process. So essentially, you set up a meeting with a celebrity. So, mm-hmm. you know, for example, let's just say Jay-Z mm-hmm. uh, wanted to collaborate and, and, and create a, a, a capsule collection of new era caps we would essentially begin with a bunch of meetings um and and the first set of meetings is meetings that we call discovery sessions where you know my job is to really get into his head and to understand like what his vision is Mm -hmm. um and a lot of times you know uh celebrities will have a very clear vision they they know exactly what they want to produce but um even more often they don't know what they Mm want to produce so we take them through a series of exercises to kind of pull out um, some things uh, to to kind of generate an idea. So that that could be anything from like you know tearing stuff out of a magazine, um, going shopping with them, and just picking out stuff like colors and t-shirts and patterns and all that. And it's really just like a creative brainstorming process. Mm-hmm. So so once we have a solid idea, then we we connect that celebrity with one of our artists, and that artist will start to kind of draw something a little bit more. Um, sort of a little bit more solid um, and produce um, several different examples of their interpretation of the celebrity's idea. Mm-hmm. And then once a celebrity, you know, finds something, once we generate something that the celebrity likes, we will go ahead and develop it and produce a prototype. So we'll actually build a cap um, in the way that, you know, we think is most perfect. And then we, we basically work with the celebrity <clears throat> with a few rounds of revisions to get it perfect before mm-hmm. we mass before we mass produce it. So 
uh, a collaboration can take you know upwards of like six months to finish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And then, so yeah. how did, like, so, can, and then now can you share, what do you think some key steps outside of, like, working in big business? So say, for instance, I want to collaborate with you or you want to collaborate with me or something in, like in that nature. What do you think is some good foundational points for people with collaborations? Yeah, so um, you, you can't go wrong with doing your research. Mm-hmm. And, and you got to do your research so that you understand what, um, you know, what, you want out of the deal and what you want out of the collaboration and what your collaborator wants out of it. Mm. Cause you always want to do the research so that you come to a place to where you guys are receiving mutual value. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, it's a lot of talking, a lot of listening, a lot of understanding because I really need to understand what your objectives and goals are. That is the, that is where collaboration begins and you can't really have a successful collaboration without having a successful understanding of one another's, you know, uh, goals mm-hmm. for the collaboration. And then after that, um, the next step, uh, after listening and understanding is really articulating the scope of work. You really got to put down on paper, you know, in a way that both people can see it and agree to it, like what the plan is going to be, how the collaboration is going to flow, what's it going to look like. And you just got to clearly articulate it almost like a contract. Mm-hmm. Um, where both parties are clear on what their responsibilities are within the within the collaboration, and that they agree on you know how the collaboration is going to happen, what they're going to produce, and then after that, you just need a team that can successfully um, translate um, the vision into a physical product, into reality. Mm-hmm. And so, so first step is under you know talking and understanding. Uh, second step is documenting the vision. And then the final step is, you know, uh, articulating the vision into a physical um, end product. Yeah. And I, I thank you for pacing it down, because now I get even where I myself has gotten lost and probably so many listeners, because we usually communicate and we act mm-hmm. that whole idealizing. Mm-hmm. OK, what it's going to look like, um, giving examples and fleshing mm-hmm. it out. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to make that that three or four page document going through what it looks like, how it's going to work. It's always, Hey bro, mm-hmm. hey, yo, Jeff, we're going to collaborate. Hey, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, let, let's get together on this, man. Let's put it out on social media. Yeah. And then when something goes awry, it's like, hold up. We yeah. ain't talk about the money. We ain't talk about who's going to do what, when it's going to be right. pushed out. And then right. it's just, ah, uh, yeah, you got to set the expectations, man, in very, very clear terms. And you have to define every aspect of it, man. Like who's doing what? When is it going to happen? Who's mm-hmm. responsible for what? What happens when you don't pull your weight? Like all that <laughs> stuff needs to be clearly defined. Um, and then once once that's done, um, that's it, man. You're, you're set up for success. Amen, amen. And so, and I, and I know, did you get a chance to say, what were, What do you think was your, your biggest, I, I don't like disappointment, but disappointment or a challenge while working a new era? Um, I didn't know how to build a team, mm. um, because in order to, to, in order to pull off what I was responsible for, part of my role was to build a team to help me execute. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I didn't do that well. And I would say that that was probably, that was my biggest challenge. Um, and, um, yeah, I didn't master that there and, and, and new era exposed that flaw. Oh. in me and so um yeah that that was probably like the, the the challenging most disappointment most disappointing part of my experience there 
Okay, and then so after New Era, and I guess we'll we'll probably delve into how you kind of have been working on building that team because I think that's a key thing. And I can honestly say I'm horrible at building teams. I can rec- motivate, mm-hmm. get people will say I love what you do. Okay, help me out. And then after mm-hmm. two months, it's like I just stopped giving work. Then it's a communication, and that team yeah. is not a natural thing. So we will probably talk about that more on the back end. But so after New Era, did you immediately jump to Boost Mobile or? Yeah, after New Era, man, um, Boost Mobile came came and called me, and and you know going back to how New Era opened doors, um, you know Boost Mobile. I mean, if I'm sure some of your listeners remember, like it was the hottest cell phone brand on the planet. Or it was a lifestyle brand. It wasn't yep. even a cell phone. They just happened to make cell phones, but just New Era was like the definition of aspiration, cool, all of that. And so because they dealt with um, music artists and athletes, um, I was dealing with the same people because I was like, you know, making caps with them and sending them caps and all that stuff. So I was running in the same circles as the people um, at Boost Mobile. Mm-hmm. And so when they were looking to expand their team, um, they really wanted to build out their lifestyle division. Um, and so since I was in the lifestyle space with fashion and fashion was a key passion point for their their target consumer. Um, they gave me a call and basically they um, they recruited me. And so Boost Mobile was based in California at the time. And so I moved from Buffalo, New York, all Ooh. the way out to, to the West Coast. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Buffalo to Cali. Yeah. Yeah. I recommend that move for everybody. <laughs> like you, you should definitely get some West Coast exposure. It's it's a beautiful part of the country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what so yeah. what what was your biggest accomplishment at your time at Boost Mobile? Man. Um, so Boost Mobile was was awesome because <clears throat> it was a huge company that you know they were at the time that i went there they were owned by nextel and then nextel was acquired by sprint so mm-hmm. sprint ended up becoming the parent company so they had a huge 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 um they just had a lot of resources and a lot of money mm-hmm. you know i was responsible for spending I, my 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 budget for event marketing lifestyle marketing at the time was somewhere around 30 million dollars wow. i was responsible for spending that in a year so let's, can, that that was you, my job description. Can you break down what it's like? Like seriously, what does it look like planning a thirty million dollar budget for a year? Like, man, it's 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 like planning your own financial budget. Actually, it's mm-hmm. it's not it's not very different at all. It's it's you you got to understand what <clears throat> your bills are, and mm-hmm. then you got to understand what um, your priorities are as a business. And you you essentially that money is meant for me to make investments mm-hmm. into. Uh, you know, uh, athletes, events, and celebrities that would essentially have a return on investment to me in the form of, you know, uh, cell phone sales, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> and so, so basically, um, I had to, I had to develop a strategy uh, on how I was going to spend that money, what I was going to invest that money in, and then I had to prove how that investment in that thing was going to, you know, result in, you know, sales. Mm-hmm. So. That was um, the first time where <clears throat> I was ever responsible for that kind of money. And that was the first time I was actually responsible for return on investment, which is a completely different Ooh. game altogether. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <clears throat> yeah. So um, so it, it was fun, man. So basically, um, I was responsible for uh, everything from, you know, negotiating endorsement deals with people like Kanye West and Young Jeezy wow. to sponsoring um sponsoring tours for you know Britney Spears mm-hmm. you know to um 
you know, buying ads in magazines like that. I, I, I was that guy along with my team responsible for doing all that stuff for Boost Mobile, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so that was a great, great, great experience for me because I got to see things like, wow, this is how you actually create a, a television commercial. Mm-hmm. And then I would go on these these video shoots because, you know, you know, we did we did deals with um, music artists who would actually use the phone in their music videos. And I would have to go and take the phone there and watch the whole video shoot and learn how the creative development of a music video was shot. And, you know, the Boost Mobile was my first opportunity to, to be a part of a team that created a, an ad campaign for the Super Bowl. Wow. You know, so I got super duper exposure to what I call big business, um, you know, at Boost Mobile. Man, so like to, to nugget away from there, from the, even your last three experiences, like your your experience post your second entrepreneurship, not probably your third, because I know you had some some other consulting and marketing companies you did along the line. But this mm-hmm. all gave you a, a, a flavor and experience. So now I'm doing what you today, because that's that's some you will never you can never recreate yeah. planning something for the Super Bowl, being being behind the scenes of music, negotiating deals like that's huge. Yeah. 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 And so that was my taste of just like, you know, I was doing deals. Right. Like I was dealing with I was reading contracts like I was I was now on the front lines of conceiving the ideas and being responsible for all of the logistics behind making that idea reality. And so um, it was a it was a big responsibility, you know, and um, I appreciated that. I think that that position was really what set me up for um, success in terms of being able to, you know, be confident in my ability to to create something on my own, market it on my own, package it on my own, um, sell it on my own and, and bring home some money, you know? Amen. Yeah. And so with that, with that, what would you say was your, your biggest challenge or disappointment with, with, with that process? Cause I know it's a, it's a high, a high risk job. So what would you say was your biggest challenge with that role? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one, man. I don't have a whole lot of, I don't have a whole lot of regrets or, or disappointments in that role, except that, you know, w- when you're when you're when you're when you're working for companies at that scale, um, it was a very high, you know, telecom is very highly competitive, and a lot of companies were being acquired, and so for me that was the first experience um, of you know Boost Mobile being acquired by Nextel, then Nextel being acquired by Sprint, then Sprint acquiring Virgin Mobile and a few others, and the the stuff that happens as a result, people getting laid off, um, not hitting sales goals, all that stuff. And so because it's high risk um, and high reward, like the risks are real. Like people do lose their jobs because, you know, I, I wasn't able to, you know, get the return on investment on a particular project, you know, you know, and combinate, you know, just to overly simplify it. So that's probably like, the hardest part of that job um as far as like personal disappointments man i can't say that i i have any um i think boost mobile was really where i kind of just like i started to gel i started to get it you know like i understood who i was i understood what i was good at for the first time in my life everything else before that i was just kind of searching and figuring it out but you know i figured it out there Mm. you know and before, right before we go into the present day round, because we've, we've extracted a lot from this, I did want to speak on 
you're a consulting, you're consulting, consulting company that, um, that is, they work with big brands such as like McDonald's and whatnot, and especially in the urban ad space. How did, how were you able to align with such big brands, but when you first started your, uh, when, when you had your consulting company? Leverage. Um, because New Era was what it was in the urban space and the sports space, I was able to build relationships with other corporate brands that wanted to play in that space. So mm-hmm. um, I started to network a lot beginning at New Era, and I networked even more um, at Boost Mobile because, you know, listen, I was I was I was spending budgets um, and people wanted me to sponsor their events. So you know, we were sponsoring everything from we were sponsoring NASCAR. NASCAR is huge. We were we were one of the first sponsors of the UFC, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so and, you know, we were sponsoring athletes. We were sponsoring entire stadiums. You know, mm-hmm. we, we sponsored Madison Square Garden and Carmelo Anthony. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing deals with the same companies that I ended up consulting with. Mm-hmm. And because I did, you know, I did good work. Um, I made great relationships when I was able to branch out on my own to become a private consultant, you know, the same de- people I was doing deals with, I gave a call and be like, yo, I'm on my own. I'm doing my own thing. Can you give me a shot? And, and people, you know, respected me enough and had enough confidence in me to, to give me an opportunity. And so everybody that I'm working with now are people that I've been working with the last 10, 10, 15 years. Oh, so you still, so out, outside of right away, you still consult on a regular basis and work with those brands certain brands. yeah 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 and i'm and and then i try to integrate them where i can into what i'm doing with the runaway so that's that's the thing you you want to build relationships but for the purpose of being able to integrate them in what you're doing for the future mm-hmm. you know so, um yeah for somebody that that say didn't doesn't have your your expertise your background and your experience and they they but they do have success on a on a small scale how like because you've been in both positions as a consultant but also with the big brands i know people out there that are trying to put together tours or they're trying to put together uh conferences or stuff that they need sponsorships or they need to they want to align with big brands because they've had on a small scale uh great influence or a great leverage with consulting what would you say for those that maybe are not have their network might not be somebody that work within those big corporations but how do you begin to get on their on their radar or how would you pitch certain corporations like that yeah it's difficult man it's difficult <laughs> if, i'm like keep it, it real <laughs> yeah yeah if, if you don't have the the existing relationship mm-hmm. um and if you don't have the a background to point to mm-hmm. that gives you that credibility. Even if it's a cold call, you can just say, Hey, I, I work with this person. I work, work, work with this other person. Um, the next, the next best thing, man, is, um, intro, you know, introductions. So if you don't have the contact to McDonald's, somebody in your network has to have the contact to mm-hmm. McDonald's. Um, and it, you know, or, or, or something, you know, you just have to, you just have to know how to dig, um, recently LinkedIn has become an amazing tool for me for, um, you know, you know, generating, um, like leads. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've been using LinkedIn recently because LinkedIn makes it easy for me to find people that I'm trying to get at. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you invest in a LinkedIn platform and, you know, you pay a, a monthly subscription, they allow you to contact that person. And so if, 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 if you're, if you're trying to do business on a cold call basis, um, the next best thing is to understand the business priorities of who your target is and make sure you articulate in your pitch that, you know, 
what I got is what you need. Here's why. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be able to have, you need something to offer that brand or that person that you're trying to pitch that they need. Mm-hmm. You got to be able to fulfill a need. You know, I tell, I tell people all the time, you know, my money is based on, you know, how big the problem I can solve. Mm-hmm. You know, if I could solve big problems, I'm going to make big money. Mm-hmm. And so you, you got to be able to be able, you have to be able to solve some sort of problem to be of value to a, a Sprint or a McDonald's or a Starbucks or something, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that's, that's really the key. Got you, got you, got you. So let's jump right into the present day round. We, we, we talked about the past. We got a lot of good nuggets from that. But can you share with our audience what is Runaway Jamaica, how it started? Because I know you weren't the only one that started. So kind of just go ahead and jump into the creation of that. Yeah, the Runaway Jamaica, it was the brainchild of myself and my soon-to-be fiance, Kalisa Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, when we met... Um, you know, it, it was, we met at the perfect time and, and she, she's the perfect girl for me because we, we totally complement one another. But we met at a time where in our, we had reached a point in our careers and we had reached a point in our, in our lives in New York that we wanted to make a change. Um, and, um, it was always a dream of mine to, um, open up a hotel someday. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like this far off dream. And for her, because she's a trained chef and she's been in food media her entire career, it was always a dream of hers to to end up doing something where she was cooking for people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, we we just sort of hit our limit in New York and it was just time to, to make a change. And so we decided that, you know, we were going to like jump into this whole B&B game and, and, and do it. And so, um, you know, I never forget it, man. It was it was like a, it was it was snowing in New York. Mm-hmm. It was <laughs> super cold. Um, we was probably snowed in and couldn't get outside or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we just looked outside the window. It was like, yo, we can't, we can't do another winter in New York. This is, this is crazy. And that's actually when we decided like a winter snowstorm was really the catalyst that pushed us to really go after our dream. Mm-hmm. And so we went on vacation to Jamaica. Um, she's originally, um, you know, her family's from Jamaica. And so, um, after going there, we realized that we can do it there. And so, um, in six months we created a plan. Um, she ended up resigning from her job, um, in food media Mm -hmm. and we moved to Jamaica. We moved to Jamaica before we had the spot. We moved to Jamaica before we did the Kickstarter. We just had to get there Mm -hmm. and we just did a ton of research and then we decided to launch it, a a Kickstarter to raise the money in order to acquire the place, uh, renovate it and to turn it into, um, a B and B. And so we did that. And so we, um, we put our campaign on Kickstarter up. And then in 45 days, we raised over $46,000, which was 156% over our goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were able to use the funds to, to you know, open up the bed and breakfast in Jamaica in, in uh, 2015. So question, question, question. I did a little research and I saw, but for our audience, how did you go about raising that amount of money? Because I know you already had a huge network and, and your wife mm-hmm. did, but it was only 134 backers with that. So it's not like people were mm-hmm. donating five, 10, 15. Like, what was, what was your, I know you can't, I know there's a lot more steps in which we can sure. discuss on this podcast. Sure. But what was a core component of raising that type of money with your Kickstarter? Yeah. yeah so what we did was, um, <clears throat> the way it works with Kickstarter is that, um, you know, you have to design, uh, uh, investment levels mm-hmm. basically. And with, with each investment level, you have to give someone a reward in return. So basically what we did was 
we basically designed investment levels that represented people's stays at the runaway. Mm-hmm. So we just sold, we just, we just pre-sold reservations mm-hmm. through Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so basically we pre-sold over a hundred reservations through Kickstarter. And so we got all that money up front and then we use that money to, to get the place, renovate the place in time to, you know, uh, to welcome our first visitors. Oh, okay. Okay. Did you, mm-hmm. cause I know there's a lot of, a lot of, um, places like Kickstarter, they have, they have, uh, consultants and people to help you with your campaign. Did y'all mm-hmm. hire any people to kind of look at you? Get oh, your eyes? Yeah, we did. We did. Um, uh, a friend of mine actually, who I shared an office with, um, uh, he owned a company that specialized in helping people with Kickstarter. So, mm-hmm. uh, we brought him on to help us, uh, design our Kickstarter campaign. And so because they had done it successfully many, many, many times for other people, mm-hmm. we thought that it was really a worthwhile investment to get an expert, you know, in Kickstarter campaigns to help us with ours. So I think that that would be a really good lesson for the listeners. Like, you know, listen, don't pretend to know everything, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, you know, hiring an expert is a really good investment. Um, if you, if you need that, um, if you need that addition to your team, you know, I'm a great marketer and Kalisa is an extremely, extremely accomplished marketer herself. But listen, just despite our experience, we just knew we needed somebody else who understood the space a little better than we did, mm-hmm. um, to help navigate. And so we, 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 we got help from him. So would you say because you have a mark? Would you would you say the ROI was was successful by adding his set of eyes with your campaign? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. There there were things that um, there were certain insights that he had about Kickstarter and the psychology of it and why people invest in your campaigns that we we just didn't know, you know. So again, because he had that experience of of you know producing many Kickstarter campaigns, his insight was invaluable. And it totally made the difference. And as a result, you know, our goal was thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. We ended up raising forty seven thousand dollars. So mm-hmm. that's directly attributed to to his involvement with our campaign. And I hope our audience really catches this because, mind you, this is after this guy has been legendary at Carmeloop, legendary at New Era, at Boost Mobile. And these are big positions, big brands, mm-hmm. and he still needed another set of eyes for Kickstarter on some marketing stuff. And he's a legendary marketer. So for all you people out there that are struggling with certain things and say, well, shoot, I don't want to put uh, put in the money to get another set of eyes. I already know this. This mm-hmm. guy already has a dozen, probably over a decade of experience in this mm-hmm. space and need to have something. So for all, even myself, it's opening my eyes to there are levels to this. And you want to have an excellent and amazing results and you have never produced excellent mm-hmm. and amazing results in that space then it's only right to go ahead if you can't yeah. afford it and if you can't afford it, that means like i think you mentioned earlier in the part in the podcast too working to get the funds to make that investment instead of just putting the twenty thousand mm-hmm. goal out there and you mad because you know like, i ain't get five hundred dollars like what mm-hmm. you mean like mm-hmm. you gotta get somebody that's in that space and if you don't have it right now then mm-hmm. work to get the funds to obtain that because it's gonna be that much right. more difficult exactly man and you know just going back to um, what I wasn't good at in New Era, which was I wasn't good at building a team. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I learned that lesson. And so I knew that I had to bring in somebody who wasn't me, who knew more than me to to, to make this happen. And so that was just a direct result of what I was able to learn through my experience of of just not being good at building teams before. Mm-hmm. Great, great, great. So Runaway has been it's been live for two, two plus years, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're a little over two years old. Um, 
and uh you know the runaway is um the runaway jamaica was a huge success we were sold out maybe three months before we opened up for the entire year for the you entire know. year so yeah. if you can just tr- run us through y'all growth because y'all started in 2014 <clears throat> so y'all sold out for entire 2015 yeah, so basically we started, we moved in 2014 and did and, and, and launched a Kickstarter. So we, we actually didn't open until November 2015 <clears throat> because, you know, we did the Kickstarter and we had, what, about maybe like four to six months of renovations and stuff. So we opened officially to the public um, 2015. But remember, we pre-sold um, about half the year through the Kickstarter and then we sold even more after Mm-hmm. So, um, man, we, we was, we was, we was till, till just 2016 to, yeah. So the end of 2016, we've been booked for like, you know, six months, like in advance, wow. you know, it was, it was crazy. And so what we started to hear from the, our guests love the experience at the runaway, mm-hmm. um, Jamaica and everybody kept asking us, Hey, are you guys going to open up more locations? Um, if you do let me know, because I'll, I'll totally go. Um, but I mean, I may not necessarily want to come back to Jamaica again. And so Mm. one of the things about millennials is that, you know, when they like something, they like something, but you know, they may not want to repeat the same destination. Mm -hmm. Um, so what we did was, um, it confirmed an idea that we had, which was, Hey, we know that having more than one location is probably the route to go, but it's incredibly expensive to you know, acquire a building, renovate and all that stuff. That's crazy. And, you know, we're just a team of two. Mm-hmm. Um, so we came up with uh, a different idea, which was to do, um, which was to partner with other awesome B&Bs around the world and then bring the runaway experience there. And basically that's what we're doing now. So we evolved the runaway Jamaica into the runaway experience. Mm-hmm. And what we started doing this year in 2017 is we're hosting pop-up bed and breakfast experiences in uh, in a different place every three months. So we're mm. literally running away around the world <laughs> to, a, to a different destination every three months, giving the same people who came to Jamaica an opportunity to run away with us to Cuba, to Bali, to South Africa. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And not to not to stifle the movement we're going on now, but quick question. With the runaway, is it it is a whole hotel? Like how many rooms? It just one room. Like can you kind of explain like what 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 it looks like? Yeah. So 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 the runaway. Uh, the first one. We, yeah, the first one. The runaway Jamaica was a was a is a townhouse, mm-hmm. and we basically renovated. So it's 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 four beautiful rooms, uh, with four bathrooms, um, a, a rooftop garden, uh, a courtyard. Um, we're like five minutes away from the beach, which is a private beach that we have access to. Um, and it's on the, it's on the North coast of, of Jamaica, which is basically probably the most, you know, one of the most beautiful stretches of, of, of land, um, in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, man, we're surrounded by just like lush jungle, um, you know, where, you know, mangoes just grow wild on the sidewalk and, avocados and lemons and oranges just grow wild in the street stuff like that it's just it's just a really beautiful place man and so so yeah it's um and we completely renovated we designed every piece of furniture um inside the runaway so we collaborated with an an awesome interior designer uh, from brooklyn new york by the name of estelle and together with her she did all of our interior design and we designed with her 
every single piece of furniture there. So every couch, every bed, every table was designed by us and handmade in Jamaica by local small businesses in Jamaica. Wow. Wow. That is crazy. That is crazy, mm-hmm. man. And if you could try to, and, and now to, to kind of redirect a bit, can you, can you share how has it been to work on a business with your, your partner and your, your, your new, not new fiance. I don't know. What's the mm. technical word to say? Your, your, fi- your <laughs> fiance to be. <laughs> yeah, your fiance, your fiance to be. Like, how is it starting and, and working with her? And then how do y'all separate life and business? Because it's already hard enough people work with their friends mm-hmm. or with partners. But this person, mm-hmm. well, okay, you're working all day together in the business. And then it's not like, okay, all right, see you, see tomorrow. No, you then you go to yeah. life. Like, talk about yeah. this. So how does that work? Man, it, uh, let me tell you, we 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 get better and better at it every day, uh-huh. and um, it is something that takes lots of practice, and we've we, we've had lots of practice just because we've been forced to. But basically, man, what we do is we we literally separate um, business and 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 personal. You know, there's a time of day when you know we just decide, hey, you know what, computers down, laptops down, phones away. You know, we're going to sit down and watch Netflix or we're going to go out and we're going to go on a date. Like we got we have date nights like every all that stuff, man, is programmed in. And we and we stay on top of it because, you know, without that balance, um, you know, things will get crazy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so we literally, literally like, you know, have, you know, rules for ourselves where we just kind of just like, you know, shut things down and just really focus on one another. Um, and then we make sure that on a weekly basis, we're doing things that's just all about us, you know, whether it's going to church, um, you know, doing devotions in the morning together, um, you know, going to the supermarket, which we both love to do. Um, and, uh, you know, we just, we just do all of those things that couples do in order to kind of keep, you know, our sanity, um, and to stay close. And it allows us to actually do good business together too. Right. And on the business side, we have meetings like we just like, you know, we just say, you know, we're going to meet on this time of day. Um, we're going to talk about these things. We have an agenda. Everything is really structured. And we treat it as though, you know, like we would treat it if we was going to the office. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think kind of just having keeping that separation um, really helps us to keep everything balanced. Yeah. 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 So, sounds ideal. Uh- <laughs> and, yeah. And, 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 you know, it, it's, it's forcing us. It's forcing me to become a much better listener. Um, you know, and I work on that every day. Um, it's forcing me to become a much better communicator. Um, and I work on that every day. Um, yeah. And it's helping me to become way more understanding, mm-hmm. you know, which I work on every day. And how would you say, cause I know, and, 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 and hopefully if you can break this down for, for in a, in a vantage point, but maybe the people that don't have these, these networks and connections, but I would say, how have y'all been able to garner so much press? Like if you type in, um, Jeff Belazaire and then runaway, runaway Jamaica, and I see it's littered with features on different podcasts, littered with features on different blogs and whatnot. And I know y'all already had some networks y'all developed over the years, but there's still, there's still some, some, some magic or some keys there. So how have y'all been able to garner so much press outside? Of course, y'all do outstanding stuff, but y'all are kind of on, on a lot of different blogs and a lot of them platforms well you know kalisa says all the time that um doing the runaway jamaica was not uh it wasn't really us doing we didn't develop any new skills Mm -hmm. we're just transferring 
our old skills from what we used to do in our past lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I come from marketing, PR, entertainment, and all that stuff. So I've been, I've always been, um, part of my job has always been to generate buzz for whatever I was working on at the time. So if it was a, a headwear collaboration with an artist, or if it was a new phone that was coming out from Boost Mobile or something, part of my role was to figure out a marketing plan and a PR plan um, and how to write a press release and how to work with other people who knew how to do those things. So we basically just transferred those skills uh, on our side and we do everything internally. So I do all of the press outreach. So the pitch that you got, I wrote. Um, And then basically we do all of our research. We find out who to contact. You know, so I'll spend like two or three hours on a Sunday doing all the research. And then I get all my contacts lined up. And then on Monday and Tuesday, I dedicate two hours a day to sending out emails and I personalize every one. Recently, very recently, as of like last month, we brought on somebody to help me do that. But before before a month ago, it was all me. So every break that out one more time, every Monday and Tuesday, you send personal emails to to contacts and whatnot for two hours a day two hours a day so i will so if you know if if we want to if we want to get a feature in forbes magazine i'll do i'll i'll go and i'll read a couple articles um you know and based on the subject matter that we that we fall into find out who the writers are i'll look them up on linkedin and then i'll craft an email and i'll send them out you know every 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 sunday and every monday wow that's yeah it's it's a it's a process man there's there's nothing everything is grassroots we mm-hmm. do everything from scratch, every single thing. Mm. And with your expertise, and I think I've, I don't think I've ever asked this question. I think I maybe have, but could you take us behind the scenes of what, a little bit of what your planning stays? So say you're, you're in a business. What is your plan? Like, all right, let's be, let's get practical, I guess. What would you say without revealing too much? When you sat down, okay, we have Runaway Jamaica. And we have a couple people. We have we had this Kickstarter up and running, and started planning out what it is. Like, what is what is your keys to actually plan? Like, what is it? What does planning actually look like for you? Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> planning for me is um, really thinking about the big picture. It always begins with um, the big picture of the brand. Like, okay. where where do we see our brand five years from now? Mm-hmm. And then basically, we we just reverse engineer that and we work backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and we define the steps to get us to that to that five year goal. So we knew we before we even opened up Runaway Jamaica when we first had the idea, we knew that it wasn't just going to be Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Right. We didn't know how it was going to evolve, but we knew that some version of having multiple locations would be in the future, even though we didn't know the how. Um, so opening up the runaway Jamaica was really valuable for us because we really considered that as an, as our incubator. Mm -hmm. It was our opportunity to test and validate our idea. Mm -hmm. Right. And getting one in one-on-one contact with every guest, understanding what they like, what they didn't like, what they want to see more of what they would hope that helped to shape what the growth, the next stage in our development was. And, And that became the runaway experience. So now that we're doing the runaway experience, We've built in some things that we're testing with the runaway experience right now that is going to define how we move to stage number three. So that's so basically our growth comes from us testing and validating our ideas before we move on to the next stage. So that's that's critical. Every startup, every successful startup does that. Everybody from Google to Facebook 
to Airbnb, they test something first before to, to understand how to grow it, and then they make the necessary investments on getting there um, after they figure out a plan. And so um, that's our approach. And then we literally, in my office, I have you know these kind of like these 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 walls that I put up like poster boards on, mm-hmm. and I write I write all over the walls. And so if I'm having a, a really creative week, every wall will be filled with poster paper with stuff that with stuff that I'm scribbling on ideas and plans and, and you know roadmaps and product product roadmaps and calendars and, and then I and then I take it I organize it I put it in order and then after that I have a I have a three-year plan you know I have a vision of what a three-year plan looks like and then Kalisa will come in and then she will very tactfully you know create the plans create the logistics she asks she asks all the hard questions how are we going to do that where are we going to get the money to do that all the hard questions that you need to ask in order for you to understand what you need to do to to move forward oh that so. is that is fantastic it sounds like it sounds like a i it, it brings you back to the accountant you remember have you ever seen the movie the accountant Oh yeah, definitely. And you know when when uh Ben Affleck was on that board and he was just mm-hmm. banging out all those problems mm-hmm. on that board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I can see mm-hmm. you in the studio. It, it's just like that. It's just like that. <laughs> I like get. you should see you should see my wall right now. It looks just like that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, with that being said, I know I know you've had some challenges along the way with the Reddit. So can you highlight a key challenge that you've had thus far? while creating your, your baby and expanding it and kind of share how you adapted and changed from that challenge man you know Kalisa and i joke all the time that everything that could have went wrong probably went wrong <laughs> <laughs> throughout throughout our process with the runaway man it's it's only been a year and a half or so uh-huh. and we we've had tremendous success i mean we've been in forbes magazine and all that stuff but Man, it was an uphill battle. Everything from like, you know, uh, you know, we were renovating a place. So we, you know, we're dealing with general contractors and Mm -hmm. construction people and painters and all that stuff. And, you know, Jamaica, Jamaica is a very laid back island, (laughs) which is awesome. But man, ain't nothing ever done on time, man. I mean, our original schedule was to be done in three months and it took six months to get it all done, man. Uh And, you know, people... You'll schedule an appointment with a painter and come by on a Monday. He don't show up till a Wednesday, <laughs> you know. So it's it's it, it was stuff like that in the beginning, and then it's just like you know hiring staff, you know. And sometimes that's a challenge, and you know, and it's it's so we did we went through all of that. So I think dealing with a physical brick and mortar property, um, I think you know we took for granted like how difficult it was to do in general, but then even more difficult, you know, on an island like Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also too, one of the other challenges, like, you know, the relationship with Kalisa and I, you know, being business owners and business partners, but then also just like, you know, being in a relationship, mm-hmm. you know, we, we had to really, 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 really work at, um, getting to where we are today. And, you know, don't get me wrong. It was, it was an awesome experience, but man, you know, <laughs> I, I had to learn how to relinquish some control Mm. right and just like trust her to do her thing i mean there are some things that she is just naturally better at than i am but like i just didn't see it (laughs) and so um 
so the other challenge so that caused me to look more inward into myself and to be a lot more self-reflective if you than, mind sharing, like, than what, i was what, you know what is one thing that you was like dang like i didn't see that but she is she, she's way better to be with that what is one thing? yo i thought that i was i thought that i was everything when it came to like planning uh-huh you know um like my entire career was just you know planning stuff and launching stuff planning mm-hmm. stuff and launching stuff but she is by far like like hands down <laughs> hands down the superior planner uh-huh. <laughs> like planner of the year and like i it took me a minute to to just accept that and then now i'm at the place where i i'm embracing it i i rely on that like i i tell her every day man she she makes everything better and she does uh-huh. she really 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 does and so you know i'm 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 proud of her i'm 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 thankful um that she's in my corner because um Man, like her, her presence, her involvement just literally enhances everything that, you know, that we're a part of, that we're doing. That's perfect. And before we move to our last round, which is the future round, if you had a chance to go back a year and a half while you were still in the infant stages of the runaway and maybe whisper something to yourself, what would you tell yourself? Raise more money. <laughs> you can you can never have enough. Uh-huh. Because I'm telling you, money does solve problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we thought we, you know, we we raised more than we than we planned, mm-hmm. but it still wasn't enough because things come up all the time. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to go into a business that requires a heavy financial investment, um, you know, do do as much as you can to understand and to to quantify and to factor in all the things that could go wrong. And make sure that you can, you know, fund yourself through it if you have to. Mm-hmm. Um, that I cannot stress that enough. I think, you know, um, we 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 made it work. You know, fortunately, through our family and friends, we were able to come up with some really creative solutions as far as, um, you know, uh, friends and family like investing in us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're now at the point to where we're we're able to pay back those investments, and that's you know we're blessed for that. But if we weren't, um, we would have been in a hard spot, you know? So I think understand, you know, like, you know, plan that things will go wrong and figure out how much that'll cost and, and have that, have that in your plan. I love that practicality because there are those 1% of individuals that, that it can just, they can go all out with their dreams with no money and make it happen. But that's mm-hmm. such a small percentage because even yeah. with like the speaking thing, people say, hey, how do you break into speaking? Like breaking into speaking really is expensive because mm-hmm. first of all, outside of something going viral and you maintaining that buzz. Yeah. First of all, you have to get in front of the right decision makers. Right. And yeah. then you have to go to conferences and these conferences aren't a hundred dollars. These conferences say if I want to go to somewhere in Philly and talk in front of uh, educators, the people that book speakers to come in to academic mm-hmm. institutions, that's twenty one hundred the flight mm-hmm. up there and then once mm-hmm. you get there you already have to be good so if you average and you're trying to be in the speaking it, it, it's mm-hmm. pay to play for even elite players and then that's just one conference you got to go to NACA NACA's another 2000 right. you need to go to APCA so it's not as simple as you have talent you got a story share it it, it, right. it can be but it's going to take you 10 20 years if you want within the next couple of years to blow up usually you have to be in these space and it takes money and I think you hit on it mm-hmm. in the head it's like at the end of the day if you, it, it just takes a lot more capital than a lot of people actually really think to really mm-hmm. start in, except on a high level and an expert level to kind of blow. 
Right. Right. Absolutely. And nothing, nothing comes easy, <laughs> you know, the, despite all the experience and, you know, you think my background's awesome, my, my, you know, Kalisa, man, her background's crazy. Despite all of that, man, it's the two of us mm-hmm. making phone calls, sending emails. Like, you know, I sent out 50 emails today. Wow. Yeah. We personalized one. These ain't the copy yeah, paste boys. Yeah. Yeah. Personalized one. So yeah, it's, 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 but you know what? That's what entrepreneurs do. Mm-hmm. You know? Side note, with the email, because I know I'm maybe this is just a selfish question, but how do you balance that? Because I am horrible with emails. I'm horrible. Like I, I've kind of <laughs> utilized my entrepreneurship or my what I do it to kind of mm-hmm. actually be excuse and a flaw of mine with communication. Mm-hmm. How do you balance emails? Because you send out so many and then working with that. Like, what's your email strategy? My email strategy is to create a template. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, I know that, you know, let's say on Monday, I'm a pitch you know, business press. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a craft one email that I can tailor really quickly if I can't, if I need to. Um, and that, that saves a lot of time when you can just copy and paste, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's still personal because you write it in a way where it's personalized, but you know, when you can copy and paste, the emails go really, really quick. Uh, I found some software recently that allows me to be able to just load all the emails up at once and then it'll automatically send it to everybody and personalize it for you. Hmm. So looking into looking into um, technology to help with the, your productivity is also like another another thing to do. But, you know, but it all goes it also. But 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 it also goes back to just having a system and a schedule. And you just got to really just kind of like, you know, just just do it like it's, it's for me. It's Sunday and Monday, two hours, you know. Um, and you just got to like hold true to your system, to your schedule, um, and stay faithful to that. And, um, yeah, you know, and then, and that's, so so that's how I kind of manage my time. Got you. So let's jump into the future round before we get into a last round in the future. All I got is a couple questions. The first, what's next? And I know you spoke to it earlier, but 2017 and beyond, what can we expect from the runaway? When I try to be calling it the runaway experience, runaway Jamaica, what what should I call it? Yeah, we are officially the runaway experience. And so 2017 is literally us running or running away, running around the world every three months. So uh we're actually in Cuba now. You you, you caught us at a good time because <laughs> um, you know, we was in, in, in Cuba the first few weeks of January and now we're in our bye week, so we're we're back in the States, but we head back to Cuba. Um, next week uh-huh. and we're there till the end of february so um after cuba is done um q2 is gonna be um bali indonesia and we're gonna be out there for about a month and a half um and then um on the back half of the year in the winter time we're gonna be in south africa and so basically we go to these places we go there in advance we do our research <clears throat> we create partnerships with local business owners and then we select <clears throat> an awesome uh, an awesome established bed and breakfast and we do a partnership with them where we take it over for that period of time and we and we basically bring all of our people down there so that's how we do it wow so during that so say like bali do you, do you already have six months like where are you going to be or for that month and a half you just got to find a way nah nah we <laughs> we it's already done we already we man we was just we was just in bali in december mm-hmm. yeah so we researched all these locations well in advance <clears throat> Um, I mean, we spend a lot of time there to kind of build those relationships and to, and to scope it out. But yeah, we, we have a spot where, I mean, it's already on sale on our website. Um, yeah. And we're actually 50% sold out right now. Um, and we think that we'll sell out by the end of this, you know, this month. And then, um, 
Yeah. And then we're going to move on to South Africa. Wow. And then people. So so say, for instance, if you're there for a month and a half, people come in by the day or they sell they you sell a week. Like what? So what is usually the, the price? Like, say, for instance, what's the price point for the Indonesia's trip and how long do they stay? And what's the logistical details? Yeah. So so for Indonesia, so how we do is we design it by. um so we we designate specific like uh, uh, specific um, days. So mm-hmm. it'll be from May second to May 9th and May twelfth to May nineteenth. So we space everything out and we sell it by you know like a six day package, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And basically, um, when you buy a six day package, um, it's a full concierge experience. So when you buy that, we handle everything from like your your, your flight details. We have a team that'll do all your flights and set wow. all that stuff up. Then you show up, you meet us there. We're there. We're gonna greet you. Um, all your meals are covered. We design the entire itinerary, all the cultural immersions, um, your fitness stuff. We design every meal so that you know, depending on your dietary type, if you're lactose intolerant, if you're gluten free, if you're vegetarian, we take all that stuff into account and make sure that everything is set up for you. And then basically, like we basically host you as our as our friends, as our family, and we take you everywhere, and we just have the whole thing set up for you. When you get to to Bali, there's nothing that you ever have to worry about. Wow. Yeah, it's completely set up. Mm-hmm. And do y'all have packages, or is there a flat rate, or? Yeah, it's just one flat rate. Um, we find that that's most effective because it's easy. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's less confusing if you have one flat rate for everything. Um, all you got to do is show up. Wow. So that's, 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 so you just show up at the airport and then the rest. So quick question with that. Have you have like, cause that means that for you're basically hosting for that whole month and a half, like you and your wife. So how, how is that? Mm-hmm. Like, can you host all day? And then when do you do business? That's that, <laughs> but that's, that's the business. The business gets done before we get there. Ah. The business, everything gets done before we get there. So, you know, even though we're being Bali, Mm-hmm. everything will be set for South Africa. It'll mm-hmm. be set. It'll be, it'll be selling. It'll be all of that. Um, we have Wi-Fi everywhere we go. So we make sure that whatever, wherever country we in, you know, we get a local phone if we need to. Um, we, you know, we get, we bring our laptops. We're all hooked up. Um, but yeah, like business never stops for us, man. We're, we're constantly connected wherever we're at. Mm-hmm. And when it's all said and done in this entrepreneur space, but just as a, as a man in general, what do you want your legacy to be? Wow. Um, you know what, man? I really um we're, the reason why I got into travel was, you know, my my first travel experience was in college when I went to South Africa. And um that was that was a defining moment for me because I got to see how other people live and and you know, I talked earlier about how going to college made me figure out that, you know, there was a world outside of Boston, but going to South Africa made me understand that there was a world outside of the United States. And <clears throat> I've always wanted my legacy to be um, to to uh, have our people, you know, black people be exposed to, you know, other countries and other places, man. And and to understand that there, you know, the possibilities are limitless um, and that, you know, the world is bigger than your circumstances, bigger than your neighborhood. And you should go out and see it and be exposed to it. So. That's really what I want my legacy to be, man, is to expose our people to to the world that's out there. Mm, love that. Love that. Love that. So our last and final round, the most exciting round, the rapid fire round, where I ask a series of five rapid fire questions. Do you give me five rapid fire answers? You ready? Yes, sir. What is the best piece of advice that you have never received? 
Oh, yeah, had to, had to had to flip it up a little a, bit. That's a good one. <laughs> um, travel. Nobody told me to travel when I was young, man. And I think you know that's nobody's fault. I just think that you know where I came from, no, that wasn't really a priority. It was some, it wasn't something that people could afford to do. Um, so no one no one told me that that traveling was something that I should do because it would open my eyes up. So that was a, that was some advice that I never got. Great, great, great. So if you could add one personal habit to your life, what would it be? Man, if I could be more consistent hitting the gym, that would be <laughs> that would be that would be it. Like every morning I'm like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> but it never happens. So yeah, it would be going to the gym. Okay, great, great, great. What is uh what would you say is your favorite book and why? I think uh Thinking Grow Rich. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I had entrepreneur tendencies as a kid, um, growing up and in high school and stuff, but I didn't really understand. I didn't know what, what being an entrepreneur was or anything like that until I read Think and Grow Rich. And that just planted a whole lot of seeds in me that, um, just kind of inspired me and, and really got it, you know, how I approached my career, my growth in the industry and, and what I'm doing today. Mm, love that book and that majority of our listeners have listened to that but that that book is something that honestly i'm gonna start rereading once a year because yeah me too it just has so many nuggets like i had i, I teach in high school and i had a student that was reading and they was like oh who he hooping at home and i was like yo you mm-hmm. like take this seriously if you read that book that is a game <laughs> yeah life changer life changer life changer yeah. so uh what what would you say inspires you the most and keeps you motivated because at the end of the day Everybody can say entrepreneurs are wide or different with the whoop, but it's so it's a different experience when you have to every single day show up. You know, in corporate America, mm-hmm. for the most part, you can have some off days where days mm-hmm. like, shoot, I'm on my email. I'm doing something personal. I'm just not locked in. But an entrepreneur is day in, day out, not just one year, not just two years, mm-hmm. for the rest of your life. And you're, you're really mm-hmm. writing your ship. There's no one 401k to get back on. There's nothing else. So what keeps mm-hmm. you what, like what when you almost are falling off or whatnot? What helps you get locked back in? Creative people. And, you know, I have websites that I go to. I have bloggers that I follow. I have Instagrams that I follow that I just get my sort of like, uh, you know, my creative juices, you know, when I need to feel re-energized, when I need some inspiration. Um, there are just like things that I read, you know, content that I consume that just brings me back to life, man. And it, it, it just, you know, it helps me to think. It helps me breathe, mm-hmm. you know. And while we're there, if you mind, can you share with us a couple of websites or people that you follow? So for us, they want to keep, because I know I have a few, but I'm always interested to learn more people and more stuff that, that, that have great content. Yeah. So from, um, so I'm a big fan of fashion. So from a fashion perspective, um, I really follow the, I follow these cats, Street Etiquette. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they're out of New York City. Uh, let me see, from a music lifestyle, just culture perspective, um, I love to read um, complex.com and, they, and they have a collection of other websites as part of their network. That's really cool, too. Um, let me see from a television perspective recently, man, this has been an explosion of really good black TV. Mm-hmm. Um, everything from like Insecure to Queen Sugar to ATL. Um, so I watch a lot of TV and um, I get I'm constantly inspired by by television shows and stuff and movies. And so that's kind of the tip that I've been on lately. So, um, yeah, that's what, 
I'm interested. What lens do you watch television to to get inspired? I know this might be a weird question, mm-hmm. but you know a mm-hmm. lot of entrepreneurs say, "Oh, I don't waste time watching television with the whoop." And it's interesting they say you watch a lot of television. So, uh, mm-hmm. and I know it's like, yo, how, that sounds kind of deep and philosophical, but like, what lens do you watch it on? Are you just watching? Like, how do you get inspired from it? Yeah, TV for me is a way for me to live someone else's life for 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 a second, for mm-hmm. a brief second. And so I literally, when I watch TV and movies, um, it's like I'm in it, experiencing it, you know? Um, and so, and so for me, uh, it's just, it's just a way to kind of, it's, it's just a way to escape my reality for a little while. Um, it's also a way for me to explore a different reality, um, and, and kind of live through someone else's shoes vicariously a little bit. Um, it's kind of like, you know, if 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 I were to describe it um, philosophically, it'd be like you know stepping into a, a different dimension, you know, <laughs> uh, for just like a, an hour at a time. Mm, I like um, that. Yeah, so it's 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 cool. And then to all to switch it all the way up, if you were the president of the United States, what's the first thing you would do? Wow. You know what? If I was president of the United States, I'd probably put more women in charge. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Why you say yeah. that? Man, they make everything better. I'm speaking from experience. Man, you say you <laughs> yeah. gain a lot of uh, a female followers. You know. right <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it's the truth. I mean, you know, because um, for in my uh, speaking from my personal experience with with my lady, uh, she just brings um, she just brings a, a different perspective that allows me to look at a situation from an angle other than my own and and a lot of a lot of times it it, by seeing it from a different perspective i'm able to realize something that i just didn't i couldn't see before you know so it's been helpful to have her uh to have her help with adjusting my lens um uh just so that i can see the entire picture Mm -hmm. you know as a as a creative entrepreneur um, sometimes I get caught up and I just get stuck in the lane, you know? Um, and sometimes I need a little bit of help to switch lanes a little bit. Um, and so she's been, she's been, she's been very instrumental in that. Hey man, that might've been one of the most unique answers that I've heard throughout this podcast history. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I, I love it. That's, that's, that's a great answer. And I guess the last question of every show, how I ended out, I call this show, I call myself the culture change agent and every single person we bring on the show is a culture change agent in their own lane and, and aspect. So if you could change or alter one thing about the African-American culture, what would it be and why? Mm, travel. I'm a firm believer in that if you take a kid in the hood or wherever they're at and you put them on the plane and you fly into Africa, you fly into Morocco, you fly into Egypt, you fly into the Caribbean, you fly them somewhere where they get a, a, a taste, a dose of something different, different culture, different flavors, different music, different sounds, different smells. It will ignite in them um, a depth in their imagination that, you know, wasn't realized before, you know. So uh, I, I, my, my hope is that, you know, more black people will travel um, and gain some inspiration from that. That's powerful. And I, 
And I wonder if there is any, and I have to try to write something, any case studies on that. Because it, it just, it would strike me as almost near impossible. And like I said, for all my academics out there, I haven't done research on this. But from my own perspective, impossible for a person, like from a, from maybe, I guess we call it a, a disadvantaged community or whatnot, to travel mm-hmm. to, say, South Africa for a week. And come back and not have a new perspective and maybe a new a new, yeah. a new thought. It, you're it, gonna be you're gonna be changed. It, it's impossible to come back and still because I see students all the time that walk the hallways at the time and people are like oh because they realize some some of them sadly high school might be their only shot and they understand mm-hmm. it's like it's, it's a way it's I go to high school to get away from what I have to at home and for mm-hmm. all those students imagine I, I I see it right now I have a, a a particular young man in my head right now if if he were to go on a, a plane go on a, a, a excursion. And to mm-hmm. see what other people in other countries are doing, he could not come back to school and act the same. Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And you know, if if travel is too, travel's not possible. I, I think another kind of close second is, um, you know, um, and this is going to sound strange, but if if you if you if you come from the south or if you come from you know like if you grew up on a farm, you understand. But actually going to a farm and and actually seeing where food comes from, I think. Being able to meet a farmer, meet somebody who grows crops, meet somebody who who, you know, tills the land and actually see, you know, how food is produced and where it comes from. Man, it'll it'll change how you look at food and and what you consume. You know, Um, I think more black people need to know where 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 the food comes from, for real. You know, Mm. has that changed? Are you a vegetarian? Has it changed? Like what? Yeah, it definitely changed how I look at food. It definitely changed how I eat. I'm not I'm not a vegetarian, but um, I am very conscious. We're, we are very conscious about what we eat. Like we don't we don't eat at McDonald's. We don't eat at places like that because we know how that food is made and we know what it does to our bodies. And we know that there are food deserts in in the hood. And we know that, you know, um, you know, they're there for a reason. And, it's, and the reason isn't really to help us, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so understanding all of that, um, you know, I think will help our people. Yeah. Well, on that note, this, this interview has touched a lot of different areas from different careers, consulting advice to the runaway kickstarter to, uh, aquaponics, to farming to a lot mm-hmm. of different things. And I've thoroughly, like I said, from the bottom of my heart, and I know our viewers, when they get a chance or our listeners, when they get a chance to listen to this, have enjoyed it. So I first I just want to say thank you, man, for your time. Oh man, pleasure is all mine. For real. Thank you. And for all our listeners out there, where can we find out about the runaway experience? Keep updated. Check out the prices and, and see how we can get on a runaway experience. And where can we find all that information online at? Um you can find it at the runaway Um and we're also at the runaway experience on Facebook and Instagram. Okay, so Minority Trouble is a nation. I will have all that in our show notes. Make sure you check in and see what it's all about. And thank you, thank you, thank you again for your time. And Minority Trouble is a nation. I need you to do two things before you end and close this podcast. One, make sure you leave a freaking review. And then two, don't ever forget. Four words, change <laughs> your freaking culture. Good night.